Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 70 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, better known by all of us as just simply DCU. And whether you're driving off the lot or refinancing, DCU can help you save on your next auto loan with rates as low as 1.49% APR. So it doesn't matter the vehicle. Whether you want to get a new one or refinance, DCU can help you and they can give you rates as low as 1.49% APR. And you can learn more at dcu.org auto. Insured by the NCUA, membership required. Get more details now at dcu.org auto. I was so excited to hear that Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains was going to be on the show. His resume speaks for itself. Between Alice in Chains, his highly successful solo albums, and all of the other projects that he's worked on, never mind the unlimited list of artists and musicians that he has inspired over the years, Jerry Cantrell is rock and roll royalty. I've had the distinct honor of talking to him and interviewing him and sitting down with him on several occasions, and he is always incredibly gracious with his time. He's so personable and easy to talk to, and if you get him talking about football, well, he doesn't stop, especially if you let him talk about the Seahawks. His new solo album, Brighton, which is his first in almost 20 years, is coming out on October 29th. So recently we had a chance to sit down and talk about the record, to talk about getting back on the road, to talk about his childhood and guitar tone and his inspirations. We talked about songwriting. Of course we talked about football. We talked about the Seattle music scene, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And one thing you need to know is that we recorded this right before Pepsi and the NFL announced that Dr. Dre, Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar, and Mary J. Blige would be the Super Bowl halftime show coming up in February of 2022. And as you'll hear from the interview, Jerry and I were hoping it was going to be another artist. If you want more details on Jerry, where you can find him online, details on his new album, and if you want to check out the corresponding playlist for this episode, all of that and more is linked in the show notes of this podcast. If you're an Alice in Chains fan, if you're a guitar player, or if you're anyone that just loves rock and roll, you are going to love this episode. So allow me to introduce you to Jerry Cantrell. 
Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Blue Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mistress Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Mr. Cantrell. Hey, what's going on? How are you? I'm all right. First thing I got to ask you is where you are. Uh, I'm in L.A. today, but I'll be heading up to Seattle tomorrow. So you're West Coast in it, so it's still a little early. Are we having coffee? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a third cup. Yeah, <laughs> lifelong lifelong love coaster. Yes, well, I mean, here on the East Coast, we enjoy it as well. But but you guys, it's like it's a whole other thing up in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah, that's the home of Starbucks. I mean, we uh, we like to be caffeinated for sure. Congratulations on your first solo album in almost twenty years. Why now? Uh, why not? <laughs> why not? Did it come out of uh, copious amounts of free time over the last 18 months? Was this was this solo album in the works before COVID? It's something I was thinking about uh, in uh, in 2019 as we were kind of winding down the uh, the Alice tour on uh, the, the Rainier Fog campaign. And I started kind of really uh collecting ideas and starting to starting to demo stuff uh toward the, the the very last leg that we did with porn which was really fun it was a really fun tour and a great way to wrap up that tour uh started talking with my buddy tyler bates uh and paul figueroa my longtime friend and and engineer uh and uh about uh, putting together a record and going kind of demoing up some songs and seeing seeing what what i had and we went through that process for about three, three, four months and then went into the studio in March and, and, uh, were able, luckily, to be able to cut all of the basic tracks. So we had the bones of the record recorded, uh, right as, you know, about the time we had, had to all, uh, shut down and retreat to our corners. But, uh, but we had the, the meat and the bones of the record done. So, uh, during the, during the downtime, uh, I had plenty to do. And, uh, uh, so I'm glad I had that to focus on. And, uh, I think that the record is, is, is a really good record. I, I think it's some of my best writing and, uh, I made it with, uh, with the help of some really talented people, Joe Barisi and some, uh, uh, some fantastic, uh, musicians, uh, some that I, some that I have known for years and others that I, that I, that I have never played with before. And it was awesome. Well, you sent people in a tizzy when they spotted you with Duff. The internet went insane. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, uh, Duff invited me to uh, be be a part of uh, 
a happy birthday uh, performance uh, satisfied mind uh, for Jimmy Carter. And uh, uh, that was, that was, that was really fun to do. Can I ask you, cause I'm fascinated by the songwriting process. This isn't your first solo record. And so you've always juggled Alice and your solo stuff. What makes a mm-hmm. song that you come up with, the idea, the lyrics, the melody, the riff, whatever it is, what makes you go, okay, this is for Alice and this is for me? How do you how do you decide? Is it a different writing process? The process is pretty much the same. I mean, the difference is, is the people who I record the song with. So, you know, uh, you know, if you take any, any song off of, well, you know, te- technically, Boggy Depot, uh, you know, Sean Kinney played on all of that record, and and Mike Inez played on a couple of tracks. So there still was some, some, some uh, heavy Alice involvement uh, in in that record. But but it's it's really it's really just uh, the time. You know, uh, we we were off and we weren't doing anything, and I was planning on doing a record. So that's really what makes it a uh, a Cantrell record. If we were hanging out as Alice and we, we, you know, I, I had come up with that particular song and we played on it, it would be an Alice and Shane song, it, you know, written by Jerry Cantrell. So, um, uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's pretty much the players that make the difference. The process kind of remains the same, you know? Do you work on these songs on a acoustic first or do you write them electric first? Where, where do the, the riffs come from? I don't know where they come from, but I'm glad they keep coming. And uh, <laughs> I've learned over the years that uh, when they do come, uh, it's a good idea to record them because they go away, you know. So in the old days, it was like a Tascam four track or a little handheld uh, mini cassette player. Uh, nowadays, you can just sing it into your phone or play it into your phone or computer. So uh, and this, you were talking about the process, the process for me is whenever they come, whenever a good idea comes, you know, you just, you just, you you put it in, put it in the file and, you know, I kind of collect ideas as I go. And then when I get motivated to actually start doing a a project, then I start kind of rifling through all that stuff, you know, and then you'll, you can always count on the fact that some things will, will uh, happen spontaneously during the process as well. But, you know, over a period of, of months and years of collecting riffs and ideas, there's a lot to work with there. And uh, uh, this record is a result of that same process I've used for, for all, all of the records that I've been involved with. You know, it's about three or four months of demoing, working songs up so that when I do walk into the studio with whoever I'm walking into the studio with, I've, I've, I've got some songs that I feel really strongly about and that I think are good you know, or some ideas that I think could be made into something good. Have you ever gotten an idea for a riff or a song in a in a in a very strange or inopportune place that you just get inspired like a lightning bolt and then what do you do like sing them in your head until you can get to your recorder and get them down? I do actually and I can give you a really good example of, of that. Uh I've I've had uh I've had some issues with my shoulders just sort of kind of repetitive uh, motion injuries that I've kind of uh, acquired over the years and had a labrum a labrum repair, uh, and on my, I think on my right shoulder at the time, uh, that was previous to, uh, the devil put dinosaurs here album. And, uh, you know, I was all slinged up and I couldn't play, I couldn't play guitar, but I kept hearing this riff in my head and it was the opening riff for stone. So I think I have a recording of me singing it into the phone. 
So sorry, I, I, I recorded a guitar riff with my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I've been very fortunate to talk to a lot of guitarists lately. Uh, most recently, I talked to John Five, and I've been having a lot of conversations about guitar tone. And of course, it's like yep. a fingerprint. Everyone's is different. What do you attribute your tone to? Where does it come from for you? Is it your hands? Yeah, it really is. And I think you probably heard that from most players. You know, gear does play a, play a role. You know, uh, guitars and amps and effects have a sound. And, and some guitar players can use them as an identifiable sound. But it really comes from your skin. You know, it comes from your fingers, man. You know. I also had the fortunate incident to speak with the lovely Nancy Wilson, and she told me mm-hmm. something amazing that when grunge really hit, and of course it's a big conversation right now because of all the big 30th anniversaries of albums this year, she told me yep. she was so taken aback by um, how well-respected heart was in the grunge community because she kind of felt like she wouldn't fit in (laughs) oh yeah well you know i mean there there are local heroes and some of the some of the greatest songwriters and singers uh you know in in the history of rock and roll period and they were we considered them ours you know so they were uh, always a signpost uh and i think I think maybe that's a maybe that's a natural feeling, you know, like with the younger generation, you know, and and you know, going through life and getting a little bit older and having a a, a long career, you you know, there's there's always a fresh crop of new talented people coming up, and and that's the way it's supposed to be. And if you're lucky enough to stick around long enough, uh, you get to you get to see all those these younger bands coming up, and you get to make friends with them, just like. Uh, just like uh, you, when you were a kid, you got to make friends with, with some of your heroes. You know, you were talking about, uh, you know, uh, guitar tone, you know, and Eddie Van Halen was that for me, you know, like somebody I really looked up to and, and, and made friends with. And, and uh, you know, he would, he would come on, he would come on our, our, our stage and sound checks and he would plug into my amp and he's playing through my amp and my guitar, but he sounds like Eddie Van Halen. And conversely, I would do the same. I'd plug into his stuff. I didn't sound like him. I sounded like me, but, uh, Anna and Nancy are, uh, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're legendary. They're, they're some of the best and they're just great people. And, uh, I'm proud to call them, uh, uh, call them friends, you know? With all of the the focus on the albums that came out right around this time 30 years ago, there's that whole conversation about the transition from like the 80s metal and the early 90s metal into grunge. And Dee Snyder told me recently that the people that were so surprised by the fact that like that heavy metal stuff was just persona non grata, the people that were surprised the most were the grunge artists because that was the music that you guys grew up inspired by. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I love, I love all the, all the metal stuff of the, uh, of the, of the eighties. And I was heavily influenced by, you know, uh, not, not only the, the artists that we talked about, you know, like Van Halen and Hart, but like a ton of like English metal, you know, all the, uh, Maiden and Priest and Scorpions and UFO and Thin Lizzy, uh, uh, you know, loved, loved all that stuff and, uh, still do. And, uh, you know, music changes, uh, you know, it, it changes, but good things last, you know, and all of those bands, all of those bands made, 
made classic records, uh, era defining and really influential on me and, and all the, all the, all the rock players of our generation, you know? It's a testament to the passion of the rock audience too, because a lot of those bands you just rattled off are releasing new music. I mean, Maiden just came out with a new album. The Scorpions have been working on a new record. It's unbelievable the longevity of career that's possible in rock and roll. Yep, and we we just did some shows a few years ago in South America with Judas Priest. So those guys are still rocking too. Um, I'm I'm you know I'm I'm really lucky to still be uh, and thankful and grateful to be able to have the opportunity to still be creating music that I, I care about and that people want to listen to 34 years in, you know, uh, uh, those, those bands we were just talking to, uh, give me a lot of inspiration that it can go further. So we'll see how far it goes. Um, the conversation about, about Seattle brought up a name that I was ashamed, especially as a woman that I had never heard. And I've had the opportunity to talk to a couple different musicians from the Pacific Northwest about her. And I wanted to get your take um, I was shocked that I had never heard of Tina Bell before. Oh, Bam Bam, sure, yeah. Yeah, and and I was really interested to talk to you because with all of the music that's come out of Seattle, um, especially when it comes to grunge, why have I not heard of Bam Bam? <laughs> Until recently. Well, there's a yeah, there's quite a quite a few bands uh, uh, that were that were around during that whole thing, and you know, like. Uh, I think I don't know. I don't know if our attention is just our attention spans are so short that we can only focus on a couple of things at a time. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, there, it was a really rich, a really rich community of uh, of artists uh, in the Northwest, and uh, uh, during that per- particular period of time, that were uh, that were all you know uh, very vibrant and part of the scene. You're such a prolific songwriter, and I have started asking songwriters this question, A, because I'm fascinated by the process because I can't do it, and B, because I can't wait for your answer. So I'll ask you, as a songwriter, can you give me an example or two of songs that are so well-crafted that you covet them and say, oh, I wish I wrote that song by any artist of any genre, but I want you to explain why it's such a good example of songwriting. Oh God. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I could, I could name, I could name uh, a thousand, you know, I mean, uh, uh, crazy on you, magic man, Barracuda, any three of those, you know, like I wish I wish I wrote those songs, uh, using heart as an example. Um, it's just, it's just, you know, I, there's nothing, there's nothing like them, you know, uh, 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 it's, it's an identifiable thing. It cre- it, it, it makes you feel something, you know, it's, uh, uh, songwriting is kind of an ethereal thing, uh, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's really, it, it, it takes a little, a little bit of magic, a lot of hard work and, and some luck, you know what I mean? To, to fall into it. And it's also, you know, uh, being a writer, uh, and being like the the main writer in my band, it still requires everybody to to elevate that. It's not just the writer, you know. I'm I'm part of a I'm part of a, a really great band and a and a and a and a group of guys that that took uh, that not, not only were writers themselves and wrote some great stuff. Uh, 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 we all 
as a group ele- take that material and we elevate it just by what everybody else puts into it you know uh, I, I don't know that's the best way I could put it I guess can good songs be written when the songwriter is happy or does all do all songs have to be inspired by some kind of struggle I think all songs have to be inspired by an emotion you know whatever the emotion is uh, something that makes you feel or or think or experience or whatever and you're able to write that down and uh, and record it and then perform it you know those those are those are, those are different different uh, levels of expertise you know not every writer is a, is a performer you know a lot of writers write for other people to perform some people are better performers than others so uh, to be able to to uh, to be able to do both you know uh, at a high level uh, is something that uh, I've always aspired to to be one of somebody that can write well and perform well and uh, um, but they're two they're two completely different talents yeah. Over the last 18 months or so, people have had the opportunity to pursue um, different hobbies and learn new things because they've actually had time to do it. Uh, For musicians, especially musicians like yourself that are usually out on the road for a lot of the time every year, did you learn anything new or pick up a new hobby or something besides working on this music for your new album? What else were you doing? Were you on the farm? What were you doing? <laughs> no, I wasn't on the farm. I just uh, was just kind of locked up, uh, locked up in the house like everybody else uh, during the last last uh, you know, almost two years now. And uh, like I said, I, I was lucky enough to have a lot of work to do on this record, so that kind of kept me busy. You also had to prepare for football season, and I will preface this by saying that I am in New England. I was born and raised a Patriots fan. Send all the venom mm-hmm. my way that you feel necessary. But tell me what you think is going to happen this season in the league. Because I know you're into football, and you and I have talked about this in the past. You know your stuff. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a big fan of the Seahawks and the Pittsburgh Steelers as well. And, and uh, you know, uh, they both uh, were able to uh, get, a, get a win to start the season. That's always a good sign. Uh, it's, uh, it's good to see people, uh, people in seats. And I was actually able to attend, attend a game, uh, last weekend, uh, in Las Vegas. I went, went out to, uh, I was a little, little, uh, little bit of shock, you know, being around that many people, <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, brought the, brought, brought the mask and, and, uh, uh, had a really good time. It was a crazy, crazy game. I mean, it was like, uh, everything that could happen did happen, and it went right down to the wire in overtime. So uh, that was a pretty pretty amazing game to have been my first experience at a live game in a couple of years. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try I'm gonna attempt to uh, go to the Seahawks game uh, this this weekend as well uh, with uh, with my friend Tyler Bates, who is a Titans fan. The Seahawks play the Titans, so that's gonna be. That's going to be interesting. One of us is going to be very happy, and one of us is going to be pretty pissed. <laughs> well, it it it's. Se- hope I'm the happy one. Yeah. <laughs> it it seems like whether it's a rock show or a football game, you know, fans are just so excited to be able to go to this stuff. I mean, that video of the Virginia Tech game, 
with Enter Sandman that's been going around the internet because it it actually got measured like an earthquake on a seismograph. I mean, that's crazy. Yep. Yeah, Seattle's a Seattle's a great place to see a game too. And uh, you know, we've we've set a few uh, noise records there ourselves between Kansas City and and they, you know, in in all fairness, you know, Kansas City Chiefs are a are a, a great fan base and they've got an amazing team, but they, they, they got about, I think about 10,000 more, 10,000 plus more seats than, than Seattle, but we still compete with them for noise as one of the loudest venues, uh, in the NFL. So I'll be there. Uh, I'll be there doing my best, to to help create a little earthquake, uh, earthquake event with our voices, uh, this, uh, this Sunday. Towards the end of October, they are going to induct the class of 2021 into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And every time the nominations come out and every time the class gets announced, there's all of this argument and debate about whether it matters. Um, You know, obviously people getting upset over who gets nominated. You've been part of induction ceremonies before. What's your take on this Mm -hmm. whole thing? Well, you know, it's unfortunate that more people can't get in every year. I, I think this should be that way. That way, there wouldn't there wouldn't be so many uh, uh, people that are left out every year. But I, I get the whole idea behind it, and it's really, it's 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 uh, it's an honor to have anybody uh, or your community, the music community, or fans uh, uh, recognize your work. And so I've seen, I've been a part of or, or around a few friends. Uh, you know, I was I was able to. To, to partake in Hart's performance when they were inducted and actually play a song with them, which I, I can't believe I got to do, but Anne asked me to be a part of it. And uh, uh, I got up and played a tune with them. But, but, you know, I think the feeling is probably universal. I saw it with Rush as well. I, I, I don't, I think maybe, you know, you, you have a, it, it doesn't make your career. It's not something you're going to hang your hat on. You've already created your career and you've already got a, got a, uh, uh, had a had a body of work that's resonated with people for years, so it's not it's just a nice little feather in the cap. But but actually, when when it actually happens, it's kind of cool to see you know see uh, see the kind of reaction uh, you know uh, that they have to it. So you know it, 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 it it's a cool thing. You know, I mean, like like I say, it's not going to make or break your career, but it's a nice thing to be recognized always. You know, for your work, and there's so many artists and. And that deserve to be recognized, you know, that aren't in there. Yeah, the list is long. I mean, Maiden didn't get in this year, and we were talking about them earlier. It's like Iron Maiden needs to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The end of October is also going to bring the release of your new solo album, Brighton. Did you pick that time of the year because you're a Halloween guy? Are you a Halloween guy? I am a Halloween guy, but I didn't uh, pick it uh, to be near Halloween, but uh, it's kind of a cool coincidence because it's probably one of my two top favorite holidays. One's, one is the fourth. I get to be a, a pyro for a day and blow stuff up. And the other, <laughs> the other is Halloween where you get to, you get to dress up like somebody else. So that's always fun. Yeah. Please tell me you're not the one lighting off the fireworks. Your fingers are very important, Jerry Cantrell. No, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that's that's blowing it up. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I ask anybody that knows me, and uh, I I I throw a uh, I do a proper proper send off to the fourth. Yeah. 
I said the same thing about Dimebag Daryl with all those videos of him lighting off bottle rockets. I'm like, you guys are guitar players. You should not be holding explosives with your fingers. We probably shouldn't, but, uh, you know, rock and roll is, uh, getting into rock and roll isn't a safe business anyway. So, you know, we're known to take a chance or two here or there. I talked to John Five. He told me an incredibly uh, horrifying story of when he was young and what his mom dressed him up as as Halloween. He's a Halloween person. I am. I think a lot of people in rock are. What were some of your most epic costumes when you were a kid? When I was a kid, uh... like his mom dressed him up as a hooker when he was a kid and sent him to school and he won best costume. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I think, uh, I think my mom, my mom was pretty creative. She likes, she like, you know, she made like half my clothes and she was just kind of like a, a hobbyist and a seamstress and just was kind of a arty kind of do it yourself, hands on person. So she made me into a robot one year and I think, and she took like uh, some cardboard boxes and I made, made me a little cardboard box body. And then my, my arms and my legs were like that kind of, that kind of hosing that goes behind a dryer <laughs> like, and painted them all silver. It was awesome. Yeah. That's probably one of my favorite childhood uh, costumes. She, she handmade it. Yeah. Did you get your love of music and your exposure to rock and roll from your parents? Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and my friends, you know, uh, you know, like, like most kids, you know, you'll, you'll meet a few, few friends who have a really good, a good, uh, good collection of music or like somebody who's got a really badass stereo. It's like the kid with the car, you know, you want to hang out with him <laughs> you know what I mean? or, and, uh, um, you know, uh, but my mother, my mother uh, was, uh, you know, she played organ and she sang and she really appreciated music. Both my parents were country music fans. And so they were, uh, that was always playing, playing in the, uh, in the background or in the car, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we always, uh, always had, uh, you know, Lawrence Welk or like the Grammys or, or American Bandstand, also any, any sort of TV show that had something to do with, with music was always on. So, you know, music was celebrated in our house for sure. Well, you're getting ready to go on the road in the spring of 2022. Maybe you need to pack a bubble machine like Lawrence Welk, because I don't think you've ever done that. That would be kind of interesting without, <laughs> uh, you know, Gore's got the, uh, Gore's got the jizz and uh, what, what uh, uh, Ramstein's got the, got the, bu- well, they kind of do a foamy kind of thing, but I could do the straight bubbles. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Bubble machine. Let's do it. You're headed out on the road um, to support Brighton, which comes out on October 29th. I've also read recently that you've talked about being open to doing dates with Alice next year. What, what does 2022 look like for you schedule wise? I think it's going to be pretty busy. We, we obviously have been off. Uh, we'll have been off for two years as well, Alice. So, uh, you know, we'd like to get, we'd like to get in front of some people too. So uh, I'm not sure that we'll be doing a record or anything next year, but uh, we would, we would like to get on the road and do some shows. So it'll probably be a mix of both for me, you know. Before I let you go, you, you've got your music involved with a ton of, movies and stuff um over the last 18 20 months when the industry has been kind of locked down there's a lot coming out music movies in 2022 are you working on any more film soundtrack stuff 
not at the moment, but I'm always open to it. I love the uh, partnership and uh, marriage of music and film. I think they're both really integral in telling a story and creating a mood. Uh, the scoring, the score of a movie and songs in general at particular parts, uh, you know, it makes, it, it makes, it makes the film, you know, and, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by all of that filmmaking, acting, music, soundtracks, you know, always have been. So I'd love to do more. It seems like rock and roll is so very well represented when it comes to film, whether it's Zombie or Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. I mean, there's just so many rock musicians that have found a way to kind of navigate the film industry as well, more so than any other genre. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean... I just think I think that music is uh, music is an emotive expression, you know, and if you're talking about filmmaking, you know, that's that's the whole point It's trying to trying to set the mood for a scene, you know, to, to add add some extra commentary to it without dialogue, you know, uh, and uh, rock and roll's got plenty of that plenty of power, you know, and, and, and it also comes in a lot of different forms, you know, so. And finally, rock and roll also pairs well with sports. Is this the year ACDC is going to get to play the Super Bowl halftime show, Jerry Cantrell? Is it going to happen? I don't know, but I'd sure like to see that happen. I'd be there, uh, especially if the Hawks or the Steelers are in it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would go if the Pats make it in. So I'm just going to... There you go. We're rebuilding right now, but we got a lot of young talent, and I'm just, you know... Everybody said that when Tom Brady left that everybody would jump off the Patriots bandwagon. And I'm just saying, lifelong Pats fan, we're in it for the long haul, Tom Brady or not. Although You guys got Bill Belichick. that, that uh, He's the, pretty much one of the greatest coaches of all time. And you had Tom Brady, which is pretty much the greatest quarterback of all time. That was a good run. You still got Bill. He'll figure it out. He'll figure it out. Every team goes through a rebuilding process, but uh, if you've got him at the helm, it'll probably be a much quicker process than somebody else. I got to go to the Super Bowl in Jacksonville and see my team play and win in the Super Bowl and see a freaking beetle in the halftime show. Like, it, it doesn't get any better than that. That's pretty great. (laughs) <laughs> Although it would be nice to see ACDC, finally. I mean, you can't go to a football game and not hear ACDC. They need to play the halftime show. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I always like watching the Patriots games because whoever's running the music at that stadium, at uh, is it still Gillette? Yes, it is. The stadium? Yep. Okay, whoever's running the music at Gillette always plays Alice. And I, 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 I keep an eye on that, so I appreciate that. Thank you. That's yeah, a... It's a, it's a good thing. You got a lot of fans in Boston, Jerry. We love you. We always have. We're we're a very tribal city, and when we get our teeth into something, we don't let it go. Yeah, and you like your rock, and we like you. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today, Jerry. I really appreciate it. Congratulations on the new record, and uh, I can't wait to see you on the tour next year. Excellent. Thanks for having me on. There he is, the one and only Jerry Cantrell, and the next time I see him live, he better have a freaking bubble machine. His new album, Brighton, comes out on October 29th. Check the show notes of this podcast to get all the details on the album. You can also find Jerry online and find Allison Chains online as well. Check out the corresponding playlist that has got all of the music that we talked about in this episode. Special thanks to our sponsor of this week's episode, Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org. 
If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, every weekday, you get the sit rep, which is all of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. And you never know when you can expect a bonus episode, like October 1st surprise call from Dean DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots. Join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my Facebook page for my video show called Cocktails in the War Room. There's details on that, my blog, my events calendar, and the official Mistress Carrie online store at mistresscarrie.com. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.